All right, so recently, a handful of us in the church, we got to go to an adoption hearing together. There was a kiddo in our church getting adopted, and it, it was just really beautiful. And I don't know if you've ever been to an adoption hearing or in a courtroom, but it's kind of funny because in an adoption hearing and in a courtroom, like these two, two like kind of opposites are happening, right? There's this beautiful thing of adoption happening, and then there's this formal, like, government building service, like, hearing happening. And so uh, it, it's really funny. It almost feels kind of, like, out of place, like, if, uh, in a lot of ways. And so it feels a lot really formal. And, and, and during the adoption hearing, in this particular adoption hearing, the judge began to ask uh, the parents, the would-be parents and the now parents, uh, all these questions about their relationship with the kid. And the judge would also ask the kid uh, uh, questions about their relationship with their parents. And, and the judge was asking things like, do you love your dad? Do you love your would-be mom? Do you, do you love your soon-to-be daughter? And, and while this is happening, there, uh, there, I think it was a stenographer just like taking down all of these words. It just felt kind of funny to me. And, and, and so as these particular kinds of questions are getting asked, these ones about love and family and, and what's happening, even though it's happening in a legal sense, uh, there's all these very personal questions getting asked. As those questions were getting asked, of course, a bunch of us just start crying in the room. Because it's just this beautiful, it, it's just this really beautiful thing. Right? It's, there's this vulnerable child legally getting parents who had already been parents to this child in so many ways. And, and what we know as we're crying and watching this scene unfold, not only are, are, is love being legally declared in the courtroom, but, but we know that like, because this kiddo is going to have parents for the rest of their life, like, we know that that kid is set up for so much love, more love in their life. We know that that kiddo is going to have so much more flourishing in their life because of these parents. But as we're crying, hearing these questions, and that in and of itself is beautiful, that for me, there was something deeper going on. Like my tears were, were backed up by, by something else. So like every time, like one of these personal questions was, was asked to the dad or the mom or the child, and it was being written down for legal purposes, I was seeing this other truth that God was, that, 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 that points toward God. And, and the truth is this, is that because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, he has adopted us. So when those same questions are being asked of, of the, the parents and the kiddo, I realize that God has answered those same questions about me in the same way. And so I'm crying not just because there's this beautiful care legally of this vulnerable child happening right in front of my eyes, but I'm crying because I'm reminded that God, in a very similar yet more cosmic way, cared for the vulnerable me and by adopting me. And so adoption, it's not just uh, an earthly beauty, it is. But adoption is part of what God does in Jesus through the Spirit. And we're going to be talking all about that today as we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. If you don't know, we're in this series right now, and it's called Life in the Spirit. 
And in this series, we're, we're slowly going through Romans chapter 8. We're just going a few verses at a time. And as you've seen the last few weeks, there's so much jam-packed into Romans chapter 8. It's really the culmination of a lot of Paul's theology and what he's trying to articulate to the Roman church in particular, but to a lot of churches and other letters as well. And we're just taking a few verses because we're going, man, there's so much even in just a few verses. And and we're calling this series Life in the Spirit because all through Romans chapter 8, we see that the Holy Spirit is so integrated into the life of the Christian. So we believe in a triune God. We believe God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Somehow three persons, somehow one God. I don't know how that all works. Um, I'll ask him when he returns. Um, But the Holy Spirit, so God, God's Spirit, is, is so integrated into the life of the Christian. We see that all throughout Romans 8. And so that's why we're calling it uh, life in the spirit. And so uh, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to spend the whole time talking about this beautiful theological idea called adoption. And and how we're going to do it is we're going to break up this sermon into three parts. We're going to look at three of the things in in Romans chapter 8 in particular and talk about each of those things. So here are the three parts of the sermon today. The first part, we'll talk about what it means to be God's children. The second part, we'll talk about what it means to be God's sons. And the third part, we'll talk about intimacy, more specifically intimacy with God. And all of these things are going to flesh out this theological idea of adoption. Okay, so let's start by, let's reread that. Oh, Kim just did a great job for us, but let's read it again. Starting in verse 14, we're going to go through 17. This is what Paul says, what God through Paul says. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. Let me, let me just summarize those verses really quick, and then we'll get into those three parts. So Paul, in Romans 8, he is continuing to unpack the good news of all that Christians have because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus came to earth, lived a holy life, displaying his kingdom, bringing his kingdom, because Jesus died on the cross to die for our sins, shed his blood to be the atoning blood for our sins, and because Jesus resurrected, all of Romans 8 is true. And so Paul, every week in this series, we're saying, he's just more. There's just more. There's more and more that, that is being unpacked for us. And because Jesus has sent the Spirit to dwell in his people now, we all get this through the Spirit. And so this is why Paul keeps on bringing up the Spirit. And so he says, those with the Holy Spirit, which is everyone who believes Jesus is Lord, they are now God's children and God's sons. He says, we're not God's forced laborers anymore. We're not God's enslaved employees anymore. We are his kids. Uh, and and we're, we're so much so as kids that he has brought us through this adoption process where 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is doing something in us to make us realize how true that adoption process is. The Spirit is doing something in us to make our hearts cry out to God and call him Father, call him Abba. And not just that, because we're kids, because we're God's kids, we get an inheritance from God. And not just that, we get the same inheritance that Jesus, the Son of God, gets. We're co-heirs with Christ. And then he closes off by saying, hey, we're going to suffer with Jesus. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. So you might be like, why are you avoiding that this week? Because I'm going to talk next week about it. So um, easier to avoid this week. So, <laughs> and so that's kind of a little summary of what, all the things that Paul just said there. So first, let's talk about this idea of being God's children. I think one of the most special things that the work of Jesus has done in this world is you and me, we get to be adopted by God. Here's the thing. Before Jesus, in some spiritual sense, because of the sin of, of this world, we all have different parents. We all have different parents than God because of sin in this world. Right? You might be, in one sense, spiritually orphaned, and you're spiritually raising yourself. That might be, you might be your own parent. Uh, you might be so deep in your sin that your daddy's name is destruction, your mommy's name is wrath, as Ephesians puts it. Like, like, and, and honestly, in one sense, our sin all puts us into that category where our parents are destruction and wrath because that's how serious sin is. And that's how much it brings death and pain and badness into the world. Or you, you might be kind of more like a prodigal. Like where you're estranged from God, your father, in some way, by your own choice. Or, or simply because the things in this world just, they seem more beautiful to you than God as your father. All of those situations, in some way, point out to everything like all of us are going through. And some maybe we resonate more than others. And, that, and, and part of that is because the Bible uses a lot of images. Like it uses a lot of images and words to describe that how, although the fact that, that God is humanity's true father in some way. Scripture says that in Acts 17 too. That even though God in one sense is humanity's true father because of sin, sin has spiritually made it so that he is not the one who's raising us. Sin has made it so we don't have the father that we are supposed to have. We have an abusive father, an enslaving father, no father. That's, that's what sin does to us. And, and God, and, and so in one sense, we all spiritually, all of humanity, we're fatherless in one sense. The Bible uses a lot of images and words to describe that. And God could not let that stand. He could not let that keep going. He had to get the adoption paper signed. He had to bring you back into his family. And how he did it was with his own son's blood. Jesus, the son of God, used his blood on the cross to sign the adoption papers. 
And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, makes it so that anyone who trusts in the blood of Jesus is adopted into the family of God. That's it. That's how you get into the family of God. You just trust in Jesus. Like, you don't have to jump through all of these legal hoops. Jesus already did. And so one of the most beautiful things to me about the gospel is this idea of adoption. God adopts us into his family. Here's part of why that's so beautiful to me. Because I watch how Jesus interacts with kids in the gospels. Have you, have you seen how Jesus interacts with kids in the gospels? Like one time all these kids are coming to Jesus and they're like, you know, all the adults around him are like, get out of here kids, scram, or like whatever, like He's too important. He's too busy. He's, he's, he's with the adults right now. He's doing all these things. And Jesus says, no, no, stop. Let the kids come to me. Let them come here. Let them be here. Jesus lets the kids in the Gospels come to him when everybody goes like, they're just a burden. They're just in the way. Jesus, when he, how he talks about kids, he seems to treasure children when the society around him didn't treasure children, there is a soft spot in Jesus' heart towards kids when you read the gospel, towards children. And so then when we find out in Romans chapter 8 that that's how God loves us, that he sees us as his kids, that he's adopted us in, that is just so beautiful to me because I see in the gospels how that played out. The tenderness that Jesus has with children he has for us. The love that Jesus has with children, God has for us. And we get to experience it through this thing called adoption. And so I think the reason that God, through Paul, wants to use this adoption language in Romans chapter 8 is because God is declaring a cosmically done deal has happened. There is a legally binding deal between God and his people. He is bound to us now by his own cosmic law of love. And so part of the good news is this. Jesus, with his blood, signed the adoption papers so you and me have a new perfect dad. All those different kinds of dads that, that I talked about earlier, no, those aren't your dads anymore. You now have God himself as your dad. That's what adoption does. And so, so here, this, is, this is the first thing I want us to take away from this passage. You and I, when we become Christians, we're not just part of a new religion. We are part of a new family. We have a new dad, and he's the best dad and the Holy Spirit is seeing to it each and every day of our lives, seeing to it that we, that we know that deep in our bones, that we are children of God. That's the first thing that adoption, this idea of adoption in Scripture teaches us. You and me, when we've trusted in Jesus, God has done this cosmically, legally binding thing to bind us to him where he is our Father now and forevermore. We're children of God. And that is really beautiful. Okay, the second thing. The second thing that I want to look at from this passage is this, 
This idea of being sons, this word being sons, it's all throughout there too. So what's interesting about the passage in the original Greek, uh, Paul uses the word children in the original Greek three times in this passage, and then Paul uses the word sons three times in this passage as well. And so here, I think by using the word children, Paul is intentionally trying to make everybody realize like, hey, this, what I'm saying right now, even about sonship, it's not just for the men who believe. It's for the men and the women. It's for everyone who believe. Like everyone needs to listen to this. This is for everybody. Right? So uh, to give you a kind of a similar example, like all throughout the Bible, there's this idea of God's people being the bride of Christ or the bride of God. So even the men in the church are part of the bride of Christ. And so I think Paul, when he's using this son language and children language and he's intermixing it, I think he's trying to communicate something very specific with this word son. And I think he's trying to say that this thing that I'm trying to communicate, what a son is, applies to all believers, not just men, not just sons. This idea of sonship applies to all of us in some way. So, so why the son language? What what? aspects of it apply to to all of us why is it so important how does it help us see what adoption is in the bible i think it's there's kind of twofold reason first i think god is using this language because god once used this language of his people when he rescued them out of egypt so when god's people were enslaved in egypt he rescues them out of egypt and one of the first things that he says to israel he says you are my firstborn son He says to all of Israel, multiple people, a singular word, like, you are together my firstborn son. And so I think the first reason that Paul is using this son language is he's hearkening back to that moment where God, and there's been a lot of Exodus imagery throughout Romans chapter 8. It's just not always obvious to us. He's saying, when God said to Israel, you are my firstborn son, which meant that God chose them for a special purpose, that they were going to be his people, they were going to be his special people, they were going to see him in all sorts of ways. So when God says that to Israel, and then Paul, in Romans 8, uses this same sort of language, it's almost like Paul, and I think it is actually, God, through Paul, is saying, remember, remember how they were my firstborn son? Now you guys are too. Now it's not just for the people of Israel. Now it's for everybody. And everybody gets this through the Spirit by trusting in Jesus. So everybody now is this, has these special firstborn Israel son privileges. Not just one nation. Not just one special group. Everybody has access to this because of what Jesus has done. So I think that's the first reason why Paul is using this son language. He's saying, all that Israel was promised, you now are promised. You now have. Okay? So, the second reason. The second reason I think Paul is using this this son language is I think he wants every Christian to know that in God's family, every single person has the privilege of being a son. And, and, and it seems clear to me that he's communicating that's not just the privilege of a son, but it's the privilege of a firstborn son. 
I think Paul is trying to say, for, for the children of God, there's no hierarchy in God's family. You see, in, in their day and age, that, that society it had a, a higher value on sons. People wanted to have sons for all sorts of reasons, but kind of just brass tacks, like sons were worth more back then with how the social hierarchies worked in Paul's day. In fact, there were lots of legal protections and favorings for sons over daughters, for oldest sons over other younger sons. Like often the firstborn son got most of the inheritance or even all of the inheritance sometimes. Firstborn sons had more legal rights to their father's estates. They had more privileges just because they were born first. So when when God, through Paul, is using the son language here, he's saying everyone, everyone in the family of God is a firstborn son to me. Well, what what if I'm a woman? You're a firstborn son to me. What if I'm... The youngest son, you're a firstborn son to me. What if I'm not Jewish? You're a firstborn son to me. What if I'm, I'm single? You're a firstborn son to me. What if I'm a slave? You're a firstborn son to me. That's what God is trying to communicate through this son languages. He's trying to use the metaphor of being a son in that time and place and apply it to all of God's people. Not just the oldest sons. Which means this, he's also trying to apply this metaphor of this idea of getting an inheritance from God. A lot lot of the other children got less of an inheritance or no inheritance from their earthly father. And so what Paul is like loudly communicating here is every Christian gets an inheritance. Paul makes it even more specific. He says we get the same inheritance Jesus gets. He says we're co-heirs with Christ. We're co-heirs with the Son of God. We're co-heirs with God who came to be with us. That is wild. But that's what these verses are saying. Everything that Christ inherits, everything that Christ gets, you get. That's what, that's what God has done. That's what's being communicated here in Romans 8. That is absolutely wild. You get everything Christ gets? Somehow, because of Christ's blood and his resurrection, you are now a co-heir with Christ? He gets the resurrection, you get the resurrection. He gets to live eternally with the Father and the Spirit, so do you. He gets a restored earth where he will be living with his people. You will get a restored earth. To be clear, not your own earth. We're all going to share the same one. But in God's kingdom, everybody, everybody has the rights that a firstborn son has. Everybody has the inheritance that Jesus has. That is absolutely wild to me. I was asking some pastors, I was like, what does this mean? And they were all like, uh, like they didn't, I was like, exactly, like this is like such a big, huge idea. I feel like we can't quite know what it actually means. 
You could, say, you could say a lot of things about Christianity. Like, you could say a lot of things, make a lot of critiques. But at the very least, when you compare Christianity to other religions, Christianity is promising the most. <laughs> it is promising the absolute most. It just is. It promises the most. I like that about Christianity. You all are sons of God. You all, just like we all are the bride of Christ, you all are sons of God with the privileges of a firstborn and the inheritance of a firstborn. Not just a firstborn, but the son of God himself. That is wild. That is more of what we get in adoption. The gospel promises a lot. I love it. All right. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing that I think... Both the son language and the children language gets at here, and it kind of spells out, and it's, and it's intimacy. Through adoption, we get intimacy with God. Let me, I'm going to reread verse 15. Here's what it says. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, some... Some religions promise paradise. Some religions promise peace. And Christianity promises both of those things. Um, But one of the things that is special about Jesus and what he did and what the Spirit is doing in us and communicating to us is the Spirit promises intimacy with God himself. Intimacy with God, your maker, the one who knows all things, the one who is holy and totally separate and set apart from us in certain ways because of just how holy he is. You get intimacy with him. In fact, the intimacy is so deep that the Spirit is reshaping our hearts so that we view our relationship with God not as a relationship between deity and human only, but between a relationship that is between father and child. That's what the Spirit is doing. It's going, hey, you might have a framework where you just think of God as this far-off deity, this all-powerful deity, and God is those things. But the Spirit is going, I actually want your posture towards God to be that of child and father. And it points that out by saying, the Spirit will make our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. There's a little bit debate what Abba exactly means. And the range is like, it could mean daddy. It's like a little kid saying daddy. It could be like dada. Or, or it can just be like dad. That's, but that's the range. So the debate is really between dad and daddy. And I really think it's like people that just don't like calling God daddy. So they're like, no, it's dad. It's dad. Like, we can't call him daddy. Like, but that's part of what the adoption papers do. They don't just make us a people that just have a new status in the family of God, although that's true. The, the spirit... And the adoption papers makes it so that we have a new posture towards God, so we have a new understanding of our relationship with God, letting us know that this is what God was after all along, this level of intimacy. 
He was after this sort of intimacy between a father and his kids. Some of you, and I I don't say this facetiously, but maybe 5% facetiously. But some of you, some of you, you're really, you're well-adjusted, you're secure. And I really mean that. I meet people, like one of my best friends, he's really well-adjusted and secure. And I'm just like, man, you don't, you just don't have really any daddy issues that are obvious (laughs) to me. And I go, and you just don't also have this, like, God-shaped hole in you where you're just kind of like, you have this hole in you, and like, I just need God to fill it. Feels like unless I have God fill it, there's just this hole in me. And I, I truly, there's some of you that you don't have those things. But I'll say this, I have both of those things. <laughs> I've got daddy issues and I've got this God-shaped hole. And when I began to realize that, that what my heart and my soul had been longing for was a father that I could only find in God, and he's the sort of father that's been running toward me from a long way off, I realized all that I actually needed in life. So I, I, it doesn't actually really matter how well-adjusted and secure you are. That's what you need. You need God as your father, You need to realize that you are his child that he loves. And he signed the adoption papers. You need intimacy with him. You need love from him. You need that sort of perfect father love from God himself. That's what you really need out of life. That's what I really need out of life. That's why so many of us are so broken and hurting It's because we need that love. And sin has made it hard for us to see how easily accessible that love is. And so Paul, in this chapter, he wants to assure everyone that believes that Jesus is Lord that they have that. Whether they feel it or not. Like, I think that's part of why Paul wrote this down. He's like, I want to remind you, this is what you have. Probably because he realized that sometimes it's easy to forget that. Sometimes it's easy to feel like I don't have that. In this passage, God, through Paul, is trying to bring the cosmic relational security that all of us hunger for. Even the most secure in here. Which... He says that the Spirit will work into us in a way that our hearts will begin to see God as our dad. Right away, if you're like me, you grew up in the church, us in the church, something's wrong because a lot of us who grew up in the church, it's very easy for us to read a passage and go, not true about me. Not true about me. And I would say this, maybe. And so maybe you've read the, you're reading this passage and you're like, I don't feel like God is that towards me. I don't know if I've ever viewed God that way. Well, guess what? Now you can. And maybe it's this very moment that the Holy Spirit is trying to make sure that you found that out by making sure you got to this room, by making sure we did this series, by doing all of this kind of stuff. Maybe this is the moment where the Spirit is saying, now you have that. Now, if you're a particularly spiritually burned church kid, you might go, not enough, Anthony. Not enough for me. How can I be assured? That seems like what Paul's trying to do. Why am I not assured here? 
Why am I not sure that he's my father? Here's, here's an easier test for those in the room like me who have too much religious bondage. Do you want to see God as father? Do you want to love God? Do you love God even a little bit? Do you want to follow him? Do you want to follow him even a little bit? I think that means the spirit is working in you. Because when you look at all these metaphors throughout scripture about who parents us, and whether it's God or not, often only God can guide us into seeing him as father, into wanting him as father. And so even if you're just like, I want to, I want that. I want to see him that way. That is the spirit working in you. That's the spirit working in you. And maybe as, as the spirit works in your heart over time, maybe one day in prayer, all of a sudden you find yourself calling God, not God, not Jesus, not Holy Spirit, but all of a sudden you just go, Dad, and you have some questions. I think that's what the spirit does in us. The intimacy that the holy God of the universe offers each of us is astounding. It's beautiful. It's good. And it's everything we need. When I read this stuff, I'm like, this is why I'm here. Like, this is why I stay. Because I've got these two major issues, and he's the one that says, I can solve them. I can fix this. And one day I'll fix it completely. Church, we get intimacy because of our adoption in Christ. Okay, there's, there's this story that's been going through my head this whole week as I've been studying this passage. And preachers are all, all constantly trying to think of stories. But I don't know if that's what was happening. But there's a story that's been going through my head. And it's a story about my dad. And I think he'd be fine with me sharing the story. But if not, I, we'd, we won't tell him. Um, I'll be clear I love my dad he loves me he did the best he could but over my life there's just a lot of painful deficits between me and him for a lot of reasons on his part and so I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here about this and I, I'm, I'm not trying to use him as just some great sermon illustration. I, I, and I hope I'm not just doing some sort of public therapy. But I want to share this story because this is how I've been interacting with the text this week. I think this is how the Spirit is speaking to me. And so the, over the last handful of years, two or three years ago, my dad, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it's not, it's not super advanced yet, but it's noticeable. He's lost his license. He, it's hard to, you don't want to ask him questions about his day because he forgets them. Um, has a hard time with a lot of recall stuff. It's been really painful for my mom and my brother who live with him. As you can imagine, that just stirs up all sorts of things in you. So I already have this hard, painful relationship with my father. Um, or at least memory of it. I think he's trying to get better at that. But then you, you get this diagnosis. It's just a horrible diagnosis to get. And now you're, all that stuff's getting stirred up. It's almost like if he just died suddenly. Um, and it's, it's a lot of pain. But, but one of the things 
that Alzheimer's has done with me and my dad at least is it's, it's made him like weirdly tender toward me in certain moments. So my dad is not a tender or a gentle man. I would say I've had moments where he's been tender and gentle and usually those stick out to me because they've not happened very much with me and him over the course of my life. So he's not a tender and gentle man. In fact, he's very aggressive, and that's a lot of the pain. And this is the story that's sticking out to me. And so one night I'm at his house, and one of his dogs is barking at me, and I'm trying to settle the dog down, and I'm, I'm at their house all the time, so I'm, I'm patting the dog, and I'm saying, listen, it's me. It's me, Anthony. It's me, Anthony. And my dad's in the room, and he walks over, and he starts petting the dog. He starts petting the dog, too. And, it, and he starts saying, alongside me, he starts saying, it's, it's my Anthony. It's my Anthony. And he's just saying it so tenderly and gently, almost like you would say about your baby. Oh, you're my baby. Now, obviously, this is hard for me emotionally to experience that with my dad. And I didn't, I, so I started doing what I'm doing right now. I started crying, and I'm just like, I got to get out of here. Because <laughs> I don't know how to process these emotions in front of him. And I go. And that's how that wrapped up. <laughs> and so this story, this story has been sticking in my head all, all week. And I'm like, why? What's going on? Like, why does this story keep coming up as I'm studying this passage? And I felt like what the Spirit through these verses was saying to me was, because Anthony, I've been calling you my Anthony since the day you were born. I've been whispering to you cosmically, my Anthony, my Anthony. That's what adoption does. That's the sort of intimacy that you and I have with God now. Where he gently and tenderly holds us close and talks to us like we're his babies. And we say, Baba, Father, Dad, Daddy, Dada. That's what we get because of what Jesus did. That's what we get because of the Spirit's work in us. That's what life in the Spirit is like. And I have this hunch that, that God wants everybody in this room to know that he's saying that same thing to you guys. He's saying, my child, my child, I love you. God wants those of us who have trusted in Jesus to know that we're his children. God wants those that have not trusted in Jesus to know that he wants them as his children. He wants us to know that we have the status of firstborn sons. And God is cosmically whispering through the Holy Spirit, my child, my child, I love you. And so may we realize how true that is for all of us because of Jesus through the Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our Father. Thank you for letting me know that you're my Father.
God, I, I truly believe a, a better and perfect and stronger and more secure understanding of how much you are our Father is so needed in all of us. So many of us desire that and hunger for that. And so, God, if it's just the words today, then that's all it is. And that we just need to latch on to these words. Help us to latch on to these words. But if, Holy Spirit, you want to do something in us so that there's some kind of in our hearts, inside, inner experience this morning, God, I would love that mercy from you. We would all love that mercy. God, speaking for myself, I'm an insecure child in this world and I need the security of you. That's why I'm here. And so God, help us to find that relational security in you. Help us to realize how good we have it. Help us to see you as Father. God, for those in the room where it's really hard to see you as Father, I pray you loudly, loudly, loudly let them know this morning that you're their Father. I pray even if it's just a whisper, God, the whisper is clear and loud to them. I pray if it's just words on the page, the words stick out almost in 3D for them, God. God, we need you as our Father. Help us to see it. We need your help. We're estranged. We, we pick all sorts of other things to be our parents. We need you, God. We love you. Amen.